dig a little deeper. Here we are. I think over our 30th episode it now. It is. It is. Well yeah. into our mid-30s. Oh, look. And we're, we're growing got, older by the day. That's it. That's it. My knees are hurting more and more. We and never <laughs> never thought we'd get here. Hey, we've got something super special today. What we I, really do. Maybe we never thought we'd have is, is friends of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the original intents of the show was always to bring in guest speakers, and it's just taken us a while to get there. 30 episodes plus or whatever it is. Yeah. But it is so good to have Pastor Ben Teefy with us. Uh, he's the pastor of Desert Life Church in Alice Springs. So he's from all the way from the Northern Territory. Great to have you with us, Ben. Mm. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great to be anywhere, actually. Yeah. It's not the Northern Territory. So. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. For uh, we know you love the Northern Territory, love, mate. We Getting lost the in the Northern desert, Territory. all that stuff you yeah, do up there. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of country up there to get lost in. Yeah. Um, but look, I've come to really appreciate Ben's uh, friendship just because he's a fun guy to hang around. And certainly he's a great, clear thinker when it comes to Bible topics and scripture and, you know, the Christian journey in this present age. And so uh, I think this is going to be really, really good. Very, very interesting what we're going to get up to today. Um, We're going to be, I guess, looking at some um, uh, next level or or next generation, new season apologetics. Um, And probably starting with the question, is God a moral monster? Because that's Probably one of the things that's been purported by the so-called new atheists. Mm. And uh, and I think, well, we do need to be able to answer these things. So we're going to dive into some of that and maybe land on the ethics of Scripture. Yeah, and I, I'm just really excited about this, even just in our pre-discussion before talking about some of the questions people in our generation face, not being so much about the history of Scripture, but rather about who God is and is he kind and does he hate this kind of mm. people and does he hate that kind. So I think especially for this generation, this is a really important discussion to have about how can we have those kind of, I guess, new apologetics. If yeah, say it that and way. I love the way that this concept is going to flow on even from previous episodes where we've tried to look at unhelpful images of God and certainly seeing Jesus as the lens through which we interpret scripture and how that changes our perspective. So I think it's, this today is going to build on that and really looking forward to it, Ben. So um, here we go. Is God a moral monster? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? And I mean, you know, anyone who's a person of faith, you know, we could make a knee-jerk reaction, a real turn-off on that question because we know that the God that we know in the face of Jesus mm-hmm. is by no means a moral monster. You know, we feel emotional about that. We worship this God that we worship, you know. Um, but the new atheists, there's a lot of writing out there now not debating whether God exists, but if the God of the Bible that we purport exists actually exists, who would want to know that God? And you hear that they say really inflammatory statements, God is hate-filled, God is a horrible being. You know, it was Dawkins that f- that coined the phrase, God is a moral monster in the God delusion. Christopher Hitchens got on board and he wrote extensively about that, that God is a moral monster and the type of people that follow that God, they are also morally monstrous. So it's a pretty important question, isn't it? And the big question is, how would we find a source to deal with that question? Mm. The question comes up, from scripture uh, that that these new atheists or others people read scripture and you know the trap is if they're not skilled in the fine art of reading scripture mm. and understanding what it's saying mm. and why it's saying what it's saying then um, the big question is well you know is God a moral monster what yeah. about that earthquake what what about yeah. um, you know these this so-called genocide in in the conquering of That's the promised it. land yeah. what about the position of women right from Genesis you wouldn't want to be a woman and be cast in the in the cast of Genesis would you yeah. So is God a moral monster?
response to does he sanction all of these things? I think they are legitimate questions, and we often as a church get used to sort of harmonizing our Bible and glossing over some of those things. I, I think that's one of the biggest issues is probably the way that, and when we talk about the church, it's a massive general, generalization, I realize that. But, you know, some of the unhelpful things we've said mm. um, about what Scripture is and holding views where we place all Scripture uh, of hold it all with equal value. Mm. And initially that might sound like, hang on a sec, Chris, do you not believe parts of the Bible? No, no, no. But what I'm saying is I find the Sermon on the Mount far more relevant to my daily journey than what I might do one of the chapters in Leviticus mm. on the priestly law. You know, so of course we zero in on particular scripture that's more meaningful, more helpful, more relevant to right now. We all do that, but often the church, quote unquote, the leadership of the church, it's tried to just project this image and it's all around infallibility. It's all around um, uh, inspiration and different concepts of how that works. Um, but what that has done is actually fed. We haven't allowed Scripture to be nuanced mm-hmm. as it is. Yes. We haven't read it in a nuanced way, and it's highly nuanced. And then we've actually thrown a softball to, quote, unquote, the opposition or the, the critics of our faith. Oh, I, I agree with that. Mm. That's a great that's a great diagnosis of a problem in the church. Mm. And you see it every time you see on Facebook someone, let's take the homosexual debate for a second, mm. and it's been raging because of the Essendon situation mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. but every time you see a Christian person on Facebook quote from Leviticus that, you know, we should stone homosexuals mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, they don't realise what that does is that feeds the concept God is a moral monster. Mm. They're not offering an apologetic yeah. to our world. They're not offering the gospel to our world or any mm. form of change. There's no salt and light in making statements like that. Mm. And instead what they're doing is they're propagating this view because of the unwise and selective piecemeal quotation of yeah. a piece of scripture that fits the agenda being addressed at the time. So there's ways to address all of the ethical mm. and moral issues in society, but we just have to be so wise as Christians how we do it because like you said okay um, if Jesus is the lens so that podcast that you guys talked about where Jesus is the lens through which we interpret everything else he's the lens through which we understand the nature the character even the very personality of Mm, God then what I have to do is I have to make sure that when I read Leviticus or Genesis or anything else that it's refracted through the character and nature of God as revealed in Jesus not God as some general mythical Gandalf in the sky actually that you know the author to the Hebrews chapter one, to me, this is the most important hermeneutics verse in the New Testament. In the you know, in 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 ancient times, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and our ancestors, blah 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 blah. But in these last days, He has spoken by His Son. Yeah. What we read that a prophet wrote in the Old Testament is God speaking to them and them putting into human language a divine revelation of an infinite being filtered through a finite person. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's human language, anthropomorphism, you know, all these yeah, sorts all of those things. things yeah. Right. But what we see in the face of Jesus is we see unfiltered divinity. God didn't speak to someone about God. God spoke by himself about himself. Mm-hmm. So when we see Jesus, it's God going, this is what I'm actually this is like. Yeah. I'm not God-like. Jesus isn't God-like. God's mm. pain is to reflect, reflect, hey, guys, I'm Christ-like. Look at Jesus. That's what I'm like. Yeah. yeah. And I think if we fail to make that the starting point of reading scripture, and it mm. sounds like in your previous episodes, you know, mm. you've had some conversations about that. Um, but if we make, if we fail to make that our starting and finishing point, mm-hmm. aka, it's got to be the alpha and omega of our thought process around who God is. Mm-hmm. The big, it's the A to Z of of theology. Mm. Then um, one can easily piecemeal take from scripture 
little anecdotes that really make you scratch your head. Maybe God is a moral monster. Oh, you know, yeah. God was pretty yeah. silent when Abraham lies about his wife to Pharaoh and she has to end up going and living and shacking up with the Pharaoh. You know, so all the feminists that we went to university with, they hated the Christian Bible because of the lot of women. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand the way you're supposed to read that material, like maybe it's a critique on the problems of life yeah, without yeah. God rather than an affirmation of patriarchy That's it. as one example, yeah. you know. Um, and so how do, how do we know what God thinks about women? Well, we look to the life of Jesus to go, well, how did Jesus relate to women? Mm. Yeah. Because Jesus is God made flesh. So the way Jesus relates to women is how God relates to women. Mm. Okay, well, now that gives me something different because now when I go back to Genesis and I see how Abraham relates to women or David or whoever mm. <laughs> Solomon mm-hmm. he was pretty good at relating to women um, you know when I <laughs> see too good. yeah too just good. too good you know <laughs> Three I don't know how wives. he had all that time imagine the Gatorade that guy would have had to drink man I'm telling you um but when we look at that, then we see that the life of Christ itself is an ethical critique on humans who operate in their own wisdom and their own understanding and their mm. own sight. So so a, a man without God in his life and God that we see in the face of Jesus will probably treat a woman any old way he wants. And then they'll be very lucky if that's good, if, if the way he treats them is good. But when that man understands God in the face of Jesus Christ, then he has a completely different ethical and moral imperative mm. about how he would relate to a woman. you know, mm. And so... We can never do uh, Old Testament ethics without it being refracted through the lens of lens. Jesus. Yeah, and that's yeah. a, you know, you've got to tell yourself that time and time again. I've mm. been walking with Jesus for 20 years, but I have to tell myself time and time again, mm-hmm. our ethics don't just come open a chapter in the Old Testament, see what it says, and then go, well, that's my theology, that's my ethics. It must always be refracted through the lens, right. of, lens of Jesus. Yeah, Which is where people are saying things like, um, I just believe what the Bible says. And it's like, well, yeah, what well, does it say? God, God, says a few God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. okay. It, it's, it's, I, I know what we're trying to say. Like, I would have said that at some time in the past. Um, Me too. Horrifically thinking about it now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really disingenuous. It's just not well thought out. It's not an original thought. And it's not even a clever thought. I know what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is we absolutely trust scripture. Mm. And I think we can absolutely trust scripture yes but again we've got to come back down to what does the nuance mean Mm. and especially you know when you come to this is a funny thing i find ben when you defend the image of christ or when you lift the image of christ up say right if you want to see an accurate picture of god you're going to see cruciform love to put it in the terms of maybe our Catholic brethren, you know. You're going to see a God who emptied himself, gave himself fully, laid down his life on behalf of others. That's what you'll see. Mm. It's just amazing how, you know, good people, good Christian people, ministers, Mm. rush to cobble together an argument to prove that God is not as kind and as good as that. It's my unfortunate experience that when you start talking that way, when you talk about cruciform revelation mm-hmm. and you talk about Christ as the apex of God, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean the image in, in Revelation of John being suctioned up to heaven and that moment where he weeps because no one is worthy to open the scroll, the blueprint of the universe mm-hmm. and time itself and he weeps, which is probably the right response for anyone in touch with the brokenness of the world. Mm-hmm. What a shame we don't have answers to the big broken problems of our universe. Of course, we should all weep about that. Mm. So John does. And then the angel says, don't weep, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has con- conquered. He is worthy to open the scroll. And we all love that image. How many Christian tattoos have you seen of yeah. a lion? Yeah. Lion yeah. of Judah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then John says, <laughs> so he hears, there's this whole wordplay in Revelation on hearing and then seeing, you know, and in two crucial moments, what he sees.
sees is nothing like what he hears, which is like a very deep hermeneutical key to the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. So this one is, I he heard he heard the voice say, don't worry, the line of the tribe of Judah. So he turned and he sees the lamb in the midst of the throne looking like it had been slain. And so that's like a crucial thing about the entire nature and character of God revealed to us in that vision, which is the line of the tribe of Judah is only an image that makes sense if when you turn what you actually see as a lamb. We all wow. want a line. We want claws. We mm. want fangs. We mm. want conquering. Mm. We want victory. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, we want yeah, that. Yeah. And and um and really like the worst in in modern Christians is we want to become the jihadists of the West. Yeah. That, that yeah. shape our whole society and make Christian laws and make it the rule that everyone has to think and believe what we think of. Mm. But in the book of Revelation, you don't get that. You get the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, that sounds awesome. But then I turn, John says, and what do I see? I see a lamb that was slain. Mm. And the crucial revelation of who God really should be envisaged of is the one who conquers by overcoming love, not overwhelming force. Yeah, I mean, right. And so all of our ethics have to be filtered through that thought. Mm-hmm. But now this comes back to what you were just saying, Chris. Because if you ever start talking this way, and I talk this way a lot in preaching, podcasting, leadership groups or whatever – and I always have people say to me, but remember, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. there's always a right. counter argument to why God's just not quite as lammy as what he's revealed himself right. to be. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. There's, always, some, there's yeah. always a bit of mane sticking out and there's a bit more claw mm. and fur because we want that. You know, we, yeah. and, and I think we have to grapple with the darkness of our own hearts. Yeah. We really do want yeah. that, right? We all want God to smite the evildoer, you know, mm-hmm. but God doesn't, um, he doesn't smite the evildoer. He stretches out his arms and dies for them. Mm. And I'm after 20 years of walking with Jesus, still trying to get my yeah. soul to accommodate that very real truth about so God. So true. You know? mm. I mean, look, for me, the last couple of years, Ben, have just been trying to wrap my head around Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've mm. seen the Father. Mm. Like it, it, trying to... That is a, that I mean, is a sentence that takes a lifetime of reflection. It, is, it yeah. is like the most basic bite you on the nose truth. And yet I have not lived that before in my whole Christian mm. journey until mm. the last year or two, mm-hmm. until I started realising what that meant in the sense of having to see God through the lens of Christ, mm. having to see God as cruciform love. So that, you know, just for, yeah. for everyone listening, the whole thought is, you know, the cross is central. Yeah. So when we talk about cruciform, love displayed the most clearest if that's probably really whatever yep. that is bad English, but yep. the, you will never see love more clearly displayed than what you do in the cross of Jesus mm. Christ, mm. where mm. an innocent man who had the power to avoid it embraced the pain and suffering for the sake of others. And and we have this, no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for a friend. And Jesus lived that. Um, that has just been mm. so difficult to really wrestle with you know, and to put away old images. And as you say, sometimes the images that we really wish were true because we all, we find ourselves in a place in life where we want a rescuer. We want Liam Neeson to kick Mm -hmm. the door in and shoot the bad guys. We want that. I remember when ISIS was running rampant. Honestly, I had to stop watching the news Mm. because I was watching it hoping to see them blasted, you know what I mean? And 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 I really confront, as you say, started to confront my own humanity in that. Mm. Like, mm. Um, yep, whatever was going on up there, I should never take pleasure yeah. in the death of a human being created in the image of God, no matter how mm. twisted or mm-hmm. left field they, they appear to be. It's, mm. wow, and you have to really wrestle with your humanity there, don't you? You do. 
you know, and that's what they call, you know, conceptually in philosophy and psychology, that's the myth of redemptive violence, you know, is mm-hmm. like that deep at the core of us, we really and truly do believe violence solves it. You know, it's like inside us. We learn it when we're 18 months and we learn to hit our brother or our schoolmate with a truck on the head or a block or, you know, no, when we strike out, no one ever taught us to do it. Even if we did not grow up in a violent family or saw violence or whatever, we will eventually hit a kid and have to be told, no, Benny, mm-hmm. don't smack anyone, you know, because mm-hmm. we truly in our souls believe redemptive violence solves things. Right. And we want, we want God to side with us on whatever our tastes and preferences are, morally speaking, and then bring his redemptive violence to sort everything else out. And that is because we are intent on making God in our image mm-hmm. rather than understanding that we are meant to be remade in his image. So I have to grapple with the darkness and violence of my own heart, which would reflect God like a moral monster because I probably am a moral monster mm-hmm. that's in rehab right mm-hmm. now that I have mm-hmm. been for the last 20 years. Um, but I have to crucify that idea, you know, this idea of the cruciform God. You know, the Gospels are devoted most of their space to you know, half of it introduces Jesus, his life, his teaching. And then all of the Gospels, most of their textual space is devoted to the suffering and death of Jesus. And even the resurrection doesn't get that much. It gets some, but that much textual space. And the ascension, which is a phenomenal idea about the enthronement of Christ who now rules and reigns in the, over the universe as Lord, right? Mm. And we would go, but how could he be? Because all this bad stuff's happening. When's he going to come and open up the smackdown? You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But that's because we believe in the myth of redemptive violence. Yes, yeah. Because he says, no, but how he's chosen as the enthroned Lord of the universe that ascended to heaven, which mm. gets barely any textual space, that ascension story, mm. but it's like the most important story on that mm. authenticates everything else. The whole point of it is that he lives and he is currently the Lord of the cosmos. He rules and reigns over everything. And our emotional and personal objection to that is, well, why wouldn't God come and smash everybody? And, you know, why doesn't God come and kill Vladimir Putin and sort mm-hmm. out this Ukraine stuff? Mm-hmm. Right? And the very answer is because God is not a moral monster. We are, so we would use violence to advance our agenda. Mm-hmm. God operates by consent. And so, therefore, he will not make you do his will. And his vision for the new heavens and the new earth and a transformed cosmos is people who will voluntarily do what he did, which is stretch out their hands and serve and die and love and live the cruciform life mm. instead of take up the sword or the gun or the you know mm-hmm. the hammer yeah. of power. Yeah. And that's just, you know, honestly, I've been thinking about that for so long, but I can never fully get my head around no. how far away from yeah. that doctrine <laughs> my actual soul and mind is and how very quickly I revert back to, you know, the myth of redemptive violence. It's incredible. Right. And even in, I was just going to say, even in our view of, I guess, like, Judgment, I can see that sometimes where I've been like, oh, I leave judgment up to God. He'll burn them later. Yeah. Like, I don't need yeah, 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 yeah. He's got my redemptive violence. And it's like, oh, wow, how far have I maybe missed the mark even in, mm. in that thinking? Like, I'll let God judge them. He's got my back. And, like, and look, I think in a, in a really subtle way, it's what drives, you know, I, I think, you know, the vaccine mandates and government control and, mm. and there was this movement of Christians yeah. pushing back against the government. Mm. And and it, I'm not saying that there's not injustices in any of that. I'm not making a judgment call on it. But there seemed to me right in the middle of all that stuff to be this total ignorance towards some of the most basic things Jesus said and did, like my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. He tells Pilate, mm, mm, if mm. it was of this world, you know, whatever, yeah. Yeah. going to the cross, yeah. he says to one of the disciples, don't you think I couldn't call 12,000 angels 
if I didn't want this to happen. Yeah. And so Christ, you know, his love compels him to become the propitiation of the mm. sins of the world, mm. the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Yeah. So instead of propagating the violence again, absorbing it, taking it all yeah. into himself yeah. to show, to mm. disprove mm. the myth yeah. of redemptive yeah. violence, yeah. and uh, which is exactly what everyone around him wanted him to do. It's yeah. like, man, you yeah. could heal, you can raise the dead, mm. surely you can become the new king and put yeah. the Romans down. Yeah, cut off all the heads of the baddies. That's what we want, a that's Messiah it. that's going to come swinging the sword. Yeah. And, and so you get Christians, you know, we need to make Australia a Christian nation again. It's like... Was it ever? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. can any nation mm. actually be, quote, unquote, mm. a Christian nation? Um, but it's all this anchored belief in we should take it by force. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it's like... And uh, that's when what we don't realise is we've married our spiritual Christian theology where it's like divorce from reality and only a spiritual subject matter. And then we marry that with the kingdom of the world, which we paint a cross over it instead of, you know, the hammer and sickle or the crescent or the whatever, the US flag. Mm. Now it's got the cross over it. And we delude ourselves into imagining that it's not still the kingdom of this world. It's just the kingdom of this world with the Christian religion attached to it. But that doesn't make Christ at the centre of it. You know? right. And I personally feel like there's just nothing more disgusting than the Christian religion, like doctrine oh, and, and ideas and ideology, but without the very personality of Jesus front and centre mm. and without the fruit of the spirit that Paul laboured in, in yeah. Galatians yeah. to help them understand, okay, guys, I'm going to give you a matrix for how you know whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether God is in this or not, whether Christ is in this or not. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness and self-control. Right. If it's not that, it's not God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then that means I have to then grapple with my rage and my murderous desires. You know, I've got yeah. three daughters. So imagine if someone does something to my three daughters, you know, everyone's yeah. like, oh, but you got your shotgun ready. And, yeah, and it's yeah. like, yeah, I would. And then I have to grapple with Christ whose throne is a cross yeah. and whose crown has thorns on it. Yeah, wow. Mm. Yeah. I think, Ben, one of the things is that I've noticed in our our, our circles, and we often say here, our tiny little grain of sand on the telescope image, you know, <laughs> is Pentecostal evangelicalism, mm. and and then even in southwest southeast Queensland, yeah. southwest Queensland, yeah. um, and uh, central Northern Territory. Yeah. Northern Territory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, oh golly, I just lost that thought. What were we just saying? Just be with us on, on, on your grain of of sand. Yeah, on but the before telescope that, lens. you were just you were just summarising something, and I'm like. Um, we just see, oh, golly, let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was, in my mind, I was right down the rabbit hole I was on preparing that. myself for where you were going. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder if where you were going was what we see on the patch that we do have familiarity with because we have influence with churches, other people, con you know, we're congregational leaders, mm -hmm. we talk with people. So I think what we see is there's possibly a version of Christianity out there which doesn't want that cruciform oh, yeah. Christianity. It doesn't want the the throne being a cross and the crown being thorned. Yeah. It wants raw power and that's going to be political power. Yeah. And if it's political power, it's also military power, it's resource power, and then it's like let's dominate everybody yeah. into what yeah. we want. And there's a whole flavour in the Christian world of that that, you know, I mean, 
um, and sociologists at the moment are critiquing American nationalism, American yeah, yeah, Christian yeah, yeah. nationalism, yeah. which is that it's dominant kick butt Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, um, a Bible in one hand and an AR-15 in the other yeah, hand type yeah, of thing, you know. Yeah. And so the, the difficulty with that is it removes the Christness from Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then what we have is a religion. We have religious ideology, doctrinal purity, um, us and them tribalism and ultimately it's about violence you know so in that home in that home the teenage girl that gets pregnant she's just getting kicked out of the home because she's brought shame on the family um under the guise of christianity how could you do this and make Mm -hmm. us look bad Mm. versus a home where parents or fathers or husbands or or you know the system was christ is at the center so when someone's broken, we love, we heal, we serve, mm. we sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. You know, we mm. we love to where they've got to go because mm. the whole point is I don't smite my enemies, I stretch out my hand and die yeah, for them. Yeah. I don't propagate their suffering, I suffer on their behalf to absorb it miraculously so they can flourish. And, and wow. that's that's yeah. where I was headed, mate. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's we actually don't have a theology of suffering. Mm. We're focused. Mm. That's just my personal conviction, but we've yeah. focused so much for so long on prosperity, victory, yep. overcoming all wonderful elements of of the all, Bible story. All very lionish. Yeah, all very um, lionish. And not very lambish. That's exactly right. All that stuff, you know. And I, I honestly, sometimes I look at our Catholic brethren, and it's like they've actually got a theology of suffering. Hmm. They have got a theology of absorbing pain. They have got a theology of abju- absorbing Especially injustice. Especially when the seats are wooden and there are no cushions. You know, like <laughs> they've, they've had years of absorbing that yeah, pain. Yeah. It's true. Is it because there's never been? Like, I mean, when I think a doctrine of suffering, I think there's just been so many bad images around what that is, where people are saying, you should suffer just almost needlessly, you must. And Mm -hmm. I remember being in school and um, I think I said something along the lines of, uh, to one of my teachers along the lines of, you know, I think we were discussing what happened if God wasn't real. And it was like, well, at least I would have like had a great life, right? Like I feel like following Jesus' teachings makes your life great and, and the person is the teacher essentially said to me, You've done it all wrong if you've done that. Like if you get if you found out God didn't exist, you should be like, My life was a total waste and everything was totally pointless and like I've sat I've suffered all of this stuff for nothing. Mm, yeah. Um so is that like I've, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think I've always seen this whenever it's a doctrine of suffering I've it's been hard to see yeah. what that looks like beyond yeah. I just needlessly suffer this is a really great topic and I mean it's right off topic but it's yeah. it's really yeah. a great topic mm. that yeah what is it and, and I I do remember you know being discipled in the 80s um, there was that certain element of if you weren't suffering you were doing something wrong right yeah. um, that you if you weren't suffering, you should go out and find some. Yeah. Bury yeah. yourself in it. You're going the, the embrace, whole step on me God. persecution, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm but a humble worm. Step on me, God, and watch me squirm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that as opposed to in a in a world, real real world scenario now that we face where Christianity is very actively mm-hmm. gone after in the media, mm-hmm. etc. And even though at the moment it's only sticks and stones throwing yeah. and loss yeah. of employment and career, and that's devastating enough. Yeah. And without a doubt, it's headed in a, a darker direction yeah. than that, yeah. um, where we actually have to build some sort of a theology mm. of suffering mm. for Christ, absorbing the pain, yeah. rather than retaliating and falling into the myth of redemptive and violence. I think, you know, to me, that's the least palatable truth of of my choice if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is ultimately, no matter what I want, which are there's lots of stuff I want, when my enemy strikes me on one cheek. 
the appropriate response is to turn the other one. Mm. Yeah. Well, who wants that? Oh, I don't want that. Mm. Do you want that? No. Mm. And so what we want is we want retribution. We'll call it justice and whether from God's perspective is or not, we, but we'll want revenge, you know. Mm. But the whole point is that that the position of Christ in the world was to absorb evil and how does Christ overcome evil? He inhales it all until it kills him mm. and it's buried with him in the tomb. But then when he resurrects, he leaves it there. And that becomes the the um, dominant metaphor for a human life, right? Come and walk with me. Come and walk in newness of life, Romans 6. You know, mm-hmm. So then my job is to walk with Jesus and not just understand, oh, cool, then I'm delivered from all the bad stuff and I'm going to have this awesome life. Right. But my job now is to go into the same world that killed Christ and also absorb that. You know, Paul said in, wow. in the Colossians, um, I fill up in my body what is lacking in his sufferings. So that is To do a deep study on that, yeah. on that verse is incredibly horrible and scary because of what that truly means. But what he really means is if I participate with Jesus in his mission in the world, I'm absorbing my fair share of the evil in the world because that's what people after Christ do. Yeah. Wow. Therefore, so a practical illustration would be me me being a community chaplain at a well-known motorsports racing community and I turn up and everyone's pretty nice to me. People love chaplains. They love chaplains. Uh, except one guy said really obnoxious, rude and horrible things to me as soon as we met, basically along the lines of, what the f are you doing here? And you're mm. a priest, aren't you? And mm. aren't all priests pedophiles? So mm. should I be? Should I gaff tape my pants up? Like, and he was really making yeah. a big joke of it. He'd been drinking and stuff. And honestly, I was shocked with the vitriol with which he said it. And I paused, thinking, okay, I'll let him finish while I work out how do I handle this situation? Because mm. you know, I wouldn't have minded thumping him. <laughs> but apparently, <laughs> and by as a the pastor way, ben, and a chaplain, Ben does. Jiu-jitsu <laughs> fights, trains, so you could do it. Look, and you that's the thing, I could do it, yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could, and that's the problem is I'd often like to as well. But, you know, you've got to make your choice. Am I going to yeah. be a pastor who brings a kingdom of God and has influence in this community? Well, then if I am, I can't respond by thumping someone mm-hmm. when they reject me and verbally persecute. It was only verbal persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, someone would say, who cares, suck it up, princess. But mm-hmm. it was just incredibly embarrassing and mm-hmm. horrible what he said in this room full of people. But while I'm thinking, what should I say, the other pagans in the room all went, you rotten mongrel. And they went off at him. They went off at him, not even joking off at him. They were offended at what he said. Mm-hmm. They were offended. One big fella in the room is not from our church, but his mum comes to our church. And this big fella walks up and grabs him by the collar and shakes him and says, that's my mum's effing pastor you're talking about. <laughs> and starts going off at him. So, so check this out. Now I have a choice. I don't have to thump him. Because all my big friends are, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. But then here's the problem: I'm faced with a moral conundrum, right? Because now I have to love that guy as much as I would love the guy that said, "Oh, welcome, Pastor Ben. Have a place of honor," you know. Yeah, yeah. And they were drinking yeah. bourbon, so oh, have a bourbon, you know. Like, yeah. um, but instead, now I have to work out. But I've got to love him as much as I love the guy defending me, right? right. So for me, this created a, a moment where I encountered God when I found myself at this crossroads going, what do I do next? Because I can be offended and hurt. Because he actually did, it really, I was surprised how bad I felt about what he said. Like it really genuinely mm. hurt my feelings. I thought I was a bit tougher than that actually mm. and more robust, but it really got under mm. my skin. Like, mm. oh man, I'm here being serving and being a nice guy trying to bring the kingdom of God and you're saying stuff like that to me. Mm. That mm. hurts, man. You know, I'm thinking in my head that yeah. actually really, you hit me, you know, yeah. you got yeah. me. Yeah. And so this guy's shaking him. So I get in between them and I push them apart and I say, oh, it's okay, mate. And I put my hand on the offender's shoulder and I say, now all you guys are going off at him 
And I'm actually, my feelings are a bit hurt, which I said kind of half-jokingly. I said, but I know he probably didn't mean to offend any of us as much as he did. His name his name was Rabbit. So I said, come on, Rabbit, give us a hug, mate. I forgive you. And I made him give me a hug. <laughs> he has tears running down his face. Uh, and oh, yeah, wow. it was a two-second thing, right? A two-second yeah, thing. Yeah. Then everyone went back to drinking and watching motorsports. Yeah. But the whole point was in that moment, me having a, there was, you know, when you get to those crossroads in life where, your mind just ticking along mm. all the possible infinite options. What should I do? Yeah, Holy crap, what yeah. do I do? Mm. Yeah. And so in that moment, I encountered God where I feel like, you know what, Ben, you grew as a grown-up man of God because you could have thumped him, but you didn't, but you knew you wouldn't thump him, but you could have let that guy thump him and you, or you could have just walked away, but instead you actively loved him. Mm. Now that is the only possible way to respond like Christ in that situation, you know? Not my bumper sticker that I could get that says "kill them all and let God sort them yeah. out." Then, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. But <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're constantly yeah. in life faced with those choices, macro or micro. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, with what do we do when our society hurts us? So socially, like as a society or an individual. But Jesus' way was, I expend the force of this evil by absorbing, absorbing it in a non-retaliatory. Mm. So suffering love looks like being in places where I do jump in front of the bullets the world's firing and realize that as I die to myself, those things die with me, then I have to live the resurrected life, which means I've got to give forgiveness and love and, mm. and unconditional mm. acceptance and positive regard to these people doing that very same thing. And that's just what's hard about mm. being a Christian. It's like, hey, you don't have to be a disciple of Jesus, but if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't shoot your enemies in the face, mate. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that is great. That's, that is really, really great, what oh, we've just covered. Oh, and I think that... Even just your little example there, I think it's so real today with what it looks like sharing your faith or or being open about your faith. It is those side comments. It's not, you know, not always like as, you know, straight up as that is, but it's those kind of things Mm -hmm. where you're kind of on the fence of what do I say here? Like, how do I actually. I wish I had the perfect words to mm, <laughs> respond mm, with, but yeah. it's, I, I find it challenging sometimes. Mm, just, mm, it's mm. so tempting to react in the same spirit yeah. and we're called yeah. to react in the opposite mm, spirit. Mm. And, and when we do, not always, like, you know, Proverbs is not a promise. Proverbs yep. is yep. how life generally works with yeah. wisdom. So assuming you're dealing with reasonable good natured human beings. Exactly as well. right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, not all the time. It didn't yeah. work for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it will generally work yeah. as a general yeah, principle. Yeah. And we get to in our suffering we should actually rejoice. I mean, when you think about that's not an easy thing, but ultimately after the fact, uh, if you look at the disciples in Acts they gave thanks to God because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ mm. after they'd mm. been beaten, yeah. you know, and it was physical persecution and yet were, went their way rejoicing because in some little way they realised mm. we're actually part of the solution now, not part of the yeah. problem. We weren't mm. the ones throwing the punches. And what's crazy about that story is their prayer, you know, when when um, they the disciples that are arrested get out of jail and the church prays and says, God, now consider their threats. You know, they pray from that psalm, why do the nations plot in vain? And then, but the conclusion of the prayer is, and now God, stretch out your hand. But they don't say, now God, stretch out your hand and smite everybody. Mm-hmm. They say, stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders in the name of your wow. child, Jesus. Mm. So it's like their yearning was when God stretches out his hand, he's not smacking everybody. Mm. He's performing these wonders of healing and restoration yeah. to demonstrate the goodness of his rule and reign on the planet. You know? yeah, yeah. But I, see, I sometimes think, man, I know in my own heart, where my prayer life could go when people attack me or the world attacks me or whatever, you know, and it's like 
I would love to pray God stretch out your hand and give them all a good bang on the head, you know, like, and that's just what you have to grapple with because we have to recognize that's not Christ in us, that element of yeah. that nature. And I guess yeah. the danger is you could find scripture that backed that up. You could go yeah. to Psalms and yeah. be read yeah. through Psalms where it's like, God, you're my vengeance. Yeah, grab those my... babies and smash their heads against the rocks. Yeah, going, you know, yeah, like, yeah. 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 And I think that's fascinating about, um, you know, the, the sons of Zebedee, <laughs> Peter and James. Or James and John, sorry. When they um, when Jesus gets rejected by a town and they come, come on, Jesus, call fire down from heaven <laughs> yeah, on them. You know, yeah. and that response from Jesus, you guys know not what manner what of spirit, spirit you are of. Mm. You know, that's something that's got to ring in our ears because of how often what yeah. we think is God is not God. Yeah, and and there's a verse um, from Paul that's been sort of rattling around in the back of my head over during this last few minutes. Um, you know, the, the the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Mm. And so when you talk about a Hitchens or whatever, new atheists love to use scripture yeah. Yeah. to actually attack scripture mm. and to attack mm. Christianity. But it is that classic mm. sense of the same mistake Christians make mm-hmm. where they take the verses piecemeal, cobble together arguments that support their preconceived ideas um, without any sense of the spirit breathing on it, mm. administering mm. it, the spirit of Christ in it. Yeah. You remove yeah. that and the Bible is as harsh as any other book out That's there. That's right. Yeah, so like, well, I want to approach this biblically. Oh, good, then let's stone someone or, you know, yeah. or throw <laughs> them in a pit, you know. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the difficulties with this, you know, so if we circle back to our introduction about God as a moral monster, which is the accusation from these new atheists, mm-hmm. the problem is we gave the new atheists their hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got yeah. it from the church. Yeah. We quoted we quoted certain parts of scripture that were not nuanced through the lens of Jesus Christ, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. um, and therefore that's how they do it. They just think it all stands with equal theological significance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So our, our sort of ethical framework has to be the canonical order of scripture refracted through the lens of Jesus Christ, which means once I've grappled with Jesus, I go back to Leviticus and understand now how Christ fulfills these things, you know, rather mm-hmm. than I'm still out there not eating bacon, which we all like, but yeah. then, you know, there's plenty of people that still want to stone adulterers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and so we have to learn, you know, the church has to stand up for that Christ-centered cruciform revelation. But the problem is when we go back to the new atheists and go, no, nah, that's not how you read scripture, they can point to too many churches that read it their way, yeah. which is why we have new atheists. Yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Look, I just think that's been really helpful. Yeah. Do you reckon we'd finish it there oh, and come I think, back? Yeah, yeah. Come I back mean, next I think week? there's plenty to, to go and think about. Hey, I think that's really important and so relevant. Um, and you're right. I think, yeah, you point out, oh, that's not how we read it. Yeah. I, often it can, people can point to other churches, but oftentimes I, I think what I've noticed in my circles is like, oh, really? Like, you don't read that scripture like that? Like, tell me about yeah. tell me about that. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of power in that. And it sort of really does reinforce who we need to be in the world mm. in light of all mm. these things, mm. that God is really calling us and looking for people who will live the Jesus life, will live mm. the Christ life, whether that's positive and affirming and outgoing and life-giving in every mm. circumstance mm. or whether that is being prepared to actually absorb some of the hatred, the mm. the, the pain the, of our society, um, rather than wielding the sword 
yeah. yeah, like Peter did in the garden. We, we're just so quick to do exactly what, exactly, you know, and sometimes it's the preachers who would preach that really, really well. Yeah, yeah. Peter put away his sword. But don't leave it He really was so well. good at drawing the sword. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when uh, often I've noticed, Ben, it's when we come across people who sin differently to us. Yeah. Yeah, their favourite <laughs> sins are more overt and different to our favourite yeah, sins, it. which, you know, by the time you become a sophisticated Christian, you your favourite sins are pretty secret, you know. So yeah, yeah. people aren't noticing what your favourite sins are, yeah. but you do find them in the same lists, you know. Yeah, like, How often do you see someone just randomly post on Facebook, um, gluttons, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's talking about abortion and homosexuality, yeah, but yeah. gluttony's in that list, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I've yeah. never seen any random bumper sticker about, you know, nah. the gluttons won't inherit yeah. God's kingdom because we're pretty, you know, even in the oh, church, yeah, the church, yeah. we give up all our other drugs and so then we eat and get obese, you know, like and coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Well, Ben, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for being with us, Thanks man. for having me, guys. It's been an utter delight to come and sit and chat with two of my favourite friends I in can't. one of my favourite towns, the town of my birth. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, and you'll be with us next week as well. So Absolutely. it's going to be great to have you next week. Can't wait. Hello to the masses. This is Libby here. I'm so glad you've joined the podcast today, listening in. If you love today's conversation, hey, get excited because Pastor Ben Teefy is back next week. But in the meantime... What you can do, do something fun for yourself. If you love to surf, go to the beach, get a surf in on some waves, build a sandcastle, whatever you want to do, have some fun, and we'll see you soon. Was the masses thing okay? Yeah, that's sick. Okay. They're going to love it.